0: It's the 100th episode of the Preppy Podcast. I can't believe we're here. The statistics of podcasting aren't great. (laughs) Many start them and then they end them only a few episodes in. So the fact that I'm now at my 100th episode is just crazy to me. Um, There's just so much time spent scheduling guests, recording, promoting, editing, all of those things. Um, So the fact that I'm here is just like beyond. But I started this podcast in spring of 2020 because I saw so many of my clients and friends who are small business owners really struggling at that time. I thought this was going to be a way that I could help them. I could share their stories and celebrate them. And it just Evolved into so much more than I could ever imagine. Um, So I just want to shout out Kelsey, who is the graphic designer that does all of um, the images for me for social media. Um, And then Kyle, who edits all these podcasts for me. I couldn't have made it here without them. And then, of course, you guys for listening. If you guys Feel moved if you could like and review the podcast, um, engage on social media, and of course, shop any of the merch on thepreppypodcast.com. I've had some amazing guests, and I'm so excited for today's guest for the 100th episode. Um, It's with Carly Reardon, formerly known as the College Prepster. I'm sure everyone knows who she is. Uh, She's one of the first bloggers that I started reading um, way back when I was starting college, and when she started her blog when she was starting college. We've crossed paths so many times during our careers, so it was so fun to have her on. Um, I recently read her book, Business Minded, and thought she'd be the perfect guest to celebrate the 100th episode because she is so passionate about entrepreneurship and females in business specifically. So it's such a great interview. I know you're going to love that. Uh, But first, I wanted to tell you about the third annual Brim Retreat, which is happening April 25th through 27th in Greenvale, South Carolina. If you haven't heard, the Brim Retreat is a three-day event led by Sally Holder for entrepreneurs from across the country who are looking to connect, learn, and grow their business. Um, I have read Sally's book, and I just love it, and I've heard her speak before. She is so great. So the retreat is full of opportunities to work alongside industry experts and special guest speakers like Jessica Randall of uh, Leffler Randall, some of my favorite shoes ever, and uh, Carmion Hamilton, who's a winner of HGTV's Design Star Next Gen. It's truly an inspiring lineup um, with so many more getting added each day. So go to bit.ly slash brimretreat, and that's brim with two M's, B-R-I-M-M, retreat to sign up today. Um, They only have 35 tickets left, so don't miss out. And when you check out, be sure to mention that the Preppy Podcast is who sent you their way. All right, now let's get into the interview. All right, so why don't you let everyone know who you are, where you live, and what you do?
1: Hi, everyone. I am Carly Reardon, or you might know me as Carly Heitlinger or Carly the prepster or the college prepster. Um, And I am a life and style blogger. I live just outside of New York City in a um, cute little suburb called Madison, New Jersey. And I live here with my two dogs, my husband, and my seven-month-old, Jack. I love
0: that. And it's funny because we connected like years and years ago. I feel like when (laughs) you were just out of college. So (laughs) It's fun to talk to you and it's been fun watching like all of your life and career changes and everything. So I'm excited to dive into this interview and learn more about that. Um, But I want to start, you know, at the beginning. So tell me a little bit about growing up. Like, were you always entrepreneurial? Were you into style? Or maybe like, I feel like a lot of people that I interview, like they were creating some sort of jewelry or, um, you know, painting pots and selling them to neighbors. Like, were you creating... And entrepreneurial as a kid, tell me about your childhood.
1: I think I was always entrepreneurial for sure. Um, you know, one of my earliest entrepreneurial endeavors was my friend and I on the playground would sell acorns to students, (laughs) others, our classmates, basically. And you know, we lived on, or you know, our playground was on had a huge oak tree. So there were plenty of acorns. We created kind of like a cabbage patch doll system with birth certificates and you had to adopt the acorns from us. And I'm pretty sure we got in trouble and had to return all the money when the teachers figured out what we were doing. Um, Yeah, that was kind of like the first thing. And then my sister and I always had little neighborhood businesses that we were trying to get off the ground. I mean, They were ridiculous, but always tinkering with things. And then, um, like my first real job was babysitting and it felt like not a job at the time. I loved kids. It was super easy. I could work whenever I was a nerd and had no social plans. So it was great for me that I had plans every Saturday and Friday night just by babysitting. Um, and I don't think I realized it at the time, but I was essentially running a business, um, a one woman show, but it was, definitely my first foray into it. And I think I've just always had that spirit and that little bug without realizing that's what I was doing at the time.
0: Definitely. I love that acorn story. I think
1: that's hilarious. (laughs) Looking back, I'm like, yeah, of course, I was so mad we got in trouble and had to return all the money. But looking back, like, yeah, we were kind of swindling our poor classmates into thinking that they needed to buy our acorns
0: <laughs> that's hilarious, and even um babysitting, I feel like that's the first time someone's brought that up on the podcast, but yeah that's a great first entrepreneurial endeavor of someone i mean it's time management it's you know talking with adults and convincing them that you can watch their child so I feel like oh, yeah. there's a lot of lessons in there
1: even just i mean I was making a lot of money too, so it was it was a financially lucrative business for me, and I realized it, and I I would also like recruit friends if, you know, I couldn't go. And so it was, it was nice. And looking back, it was definitely one of my longer jobs I've ever held because I did it for so many years.
0: (laughs) That's so fun. So, and I remember even reading in your book that your mom had a little bit of a cake pop business. Is that right? So like, did you, do you think you got some of your creative and entrepreneurial spirit from your parents?
1: Yeah. My dad started a business when I think we were in middle school, um, We had moved to a different state and he started a business with a friend. And it was interesting for me as a kid to watch him go from like going into an office every day. And he would travel internationally at his old job. So he wasn't home a lot Mm -hmm. to then starting his own business. And he worked in a home office. And we saw him all the time. And he went from, you know, being gone to like being in the house and being able to come to every sporting event, he worked all the time. You know, when your yeah. home office is in your home, I think people real don't realize you end up working like so much more. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe people do after the pandemic, frankly. But, <laughs> um, you know, I think that was my first look inside look at what a working parent who works for themselves looks like. Um, and my mom didn't have a traditional job. She was very much a stay at home mom, but she was always super, super involved with the PTA and academic foundations. And she was really involved in the school system, like the schools, my sister and I went to. And as a child, I didn't see that as her working. Now mm-hmm. as an adult, I look back and I'm like, Oh my God, my mom is essentially running businesses within the schools. You know, the being a yeah. PTA president or being a PTA, pre- tr- the treasurer you're doing so many business things and she wasn't getting paid for it. It was all volunteer, but she was definitely working. And then she started a business when my sister and I had both graduated from high school and she's still doing it to this day. Now she treats it like a hobby, but it's, she's really good at it. And I think both of my parents definitely have that. And I got to see it kind of play out in non-traditional ways. So I don't think I realized what was happening, but you know, they were definitely leading by example and it was definitely, um, at least through osmosis, I was it was clearly circulating in the back of my head, witnessing it all.
0: Definitely. Well, especially with your dad watching him, you know, go into an office and travel all the time and then have his own business exactly. and be able to, you know, create his own schedule, be there for your events growing up. I'm sure that played into it a lot. Um, even, you know, with your blog and then deciding to, to do that as a career later in life. I, I'm sure that probably, you know, you might not have realized it at the time, but definitely.
1: Exactly. And especially now that I'm a parent now, I see both what my mom and my dad did mm-hmm. as, as so much more amazing. Like, I couldn't appreciate it as a child. It just felt like normal. And now I'm like, oh, wow, they made, you know, starting a business is, you take on a lot of risk and a huge financial risk. And, you know, I think he did it in large part so that he could be home more. Mm-hmm. And my mom took risk by, you know, not working traditionally, but volunteering and being super involved in our lives. And I look back and I'm like, so grateful that I got to witness that and, um, like just have great examples right in our house.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Now. So when it came time for college, then like where and what did you decide to study? Was it something to do with business or was it something completely different?
1: So, you know, it's funny. It's, I, you know how they say like hindsight is 2020. When I look yeah. back, I do feel like all of these different points in my life were leading to where I am now, but at the time they felt so random. And even like, I think I was following my intuition without recognizing that I was following an intuition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I'm sure I didn't, I remember kind of being like, what am I doing? Like, this feels so weird, but I had originally kind of my whole life. i wanted, I've, you know, wanted to do a bunch of different jobs, but one of the jobs that I always wanted to do was go to law school, become a lawyer, become a judge and like somehow get into politics. Oh. And I love that. And I loved the idea of it. And I remember I took like a great political class, my in high school that with the, a teacher that I loved. And I just, it really sparked a lot in me and I was really, um, inspired to go into politics. And I think that's why I was drawn to Georgetown was because it was in DC and I thought oh like I could get internships on the hill without ever having to take a a semester off and it just had so much draw there was like the school of foreign service and you know it's just such a politically minded university yeah and I graduated high school in 2008 so I got a job actually interning with a political party in the state of Florida. And it was such a cool experience because we were really campaigning. Um, And looking back, they entrusted me and this other college age girl with a lot of stuff. I mean, we were doing phone banks and we were calling and we were going to conferences and trying to get people to register to vote. Like you name it, we were doing it. And I ended up hating it. And it was one of those experiences that was so hands-on that if I loved it, it could have opened up a million doors. And I went into that with like eyes wide open being like, this is my dream career. Like what a great internship, you know, to start off college. And it was very clearly super evident, not for me. Yeah. And, but here I am, I'm like, well, I'm going to school in DC. Like I'm going to make the most of it. And I was in the business school Um, and you know, then of course it was 2008. So the financial crisis happened essentially like my first semester and everything just imploded. And the professors were standing in front of us being like, you know, every student who sat in these seats three months ago, thinking that they're graduating and getting cushy jobs at Lehman brothers and yada, yada. They all just got fired this morning. And it was scary. Uh, Yeah. Um, and Georgetown ended up, really switching the business school really switched from a consulting and finance uh, track, you know, that heavily focused on getting kids into finance and consulting. They switched to having a huge focus on entrepreneurship by the end of my, by the time I graduated. Um, And so I was kind of like bearing witness to all of this in a front row seat with low pressure because you're a student. So I have no risk. I have no mortgage. I don't have a family. And I, I think, you know, it was a scary time to be in college because everything was changing. But looking back, I'm like, wow, what a gift that I was able to kind of witness all this happening and just being in the right place at the right time and trusting that intuition that I was saying, like, I think I, I was always doing something a little different, but just like one or two steps ahead of like where everyone else was ultimately going to go. And so it just kind of worked out in my favor.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is funny that you bring that up because we're actually the same age. I graduated high school in 08 too. Um, And it's crazy to think some of these Practices or these things that happen when we were in college or high school are now normal, if that makes sense. Like even you talking yeah. about with working in politics um, and it interest them entrusting trusting you being younger, which I think is funny, because now that there's a big campaign for younger people to get involved with politics. And oh, yeah. it's so it's so normal now. But back then it was like this older person thing. And exactly. so- it's just so wild. And then even the entrepreneurial thing, I feel like so many people in our generation, um, they like want to be entrepreneurs or they are entrepreneurs, whether it's even just like, you know, selling some sort of shake or something like that yeah. and being a say-at-home mom. I feel like that's like a whole thing with our generation.
1: It definitely is. And I I really think that 2008 financial crisis was a catalyst for it because I think it was very clear And this is something I struggled with with my parents because I think they, even though they were entrepreneurs, which is funny because they both ended up taking like very non-traditional career paths ultimately, but Mm -hmm. there was this mindset like, no, you get a job and you work there for at least a year, but hopefully you actually get on the corporate ladder and you start here and in two years you move up here and after six months you ask for a raise and then in 10 years, you know, you you're at this level and then 20 years you're at this level and 30 years you retire. Yeah. That financial crisis, like it blew everything up and it was like, well, no, no job is a guarantee. And I think people see entrepreneurship as a risk. And yes, don't get me wrong. There are absolutely risks involved. But I, to me, if I'm going to take a risk, I'd 100% rather take the risk on myself versus putting my eggs into someone else's basket. I mean, how many of these like unicorn darling companies do you see where it's like, this is the best job you can have. And they have free snacks and yoga in the mornings <laughs> and on the weekends, it's goat yoga. I'm like, well, and then they blow up in three years because they never actually figured out how to make money. I'm like, I'd rather take the gamble on myself. That seems like such a more surefire <laughs> way. That's-
0: Exactly. And if you're spending so much time of your life doing something and working, I'd rather be something for myself and something that I'm passionate about and I'm building for myself. So I'm with yeah. you on that.
1: <laughs> and that was actually the reason why I ultimately quit. I had a job after, my, um, after I graduated college and it was a great experience, but ultimately I realized that I was spending most of my time building a company for someone else. And I had this, like, I felt like it was something that I had to do. Everyone was telling me I had to get a job. Even though in my gut, I was like, well, I have a job. It's what I'm doing for myself. But it 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 wasn't, quote unquote, legitimate enough for everyone else. And so I did it for other people. I, I got a job for my parents so that they would feel better. Like, I got a job because that's what everyone was telling me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had this, like, critical moment. Like, I'll never forget it. So I started that job in August 2008. And in July 2009, I made a lot of money on my blog. And it was the first time, it was like the Nordstrom anniversary sale, which now is, it it was a huge deal back then. Yeah. And I made like $10,000 in two days, I think. Oh my gosh. And that was more than twice what I was making at this other job. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, what am I doing? Why am I building someone else's company? And that's when like the seed kind of got planted. Um, you know, I thought, I think this could actually be something. And I think this is only going to get bigger. And I kind of tinkered on it for about two months. And then ultimately I just actually one day I got fed up at work and I walked in after lunch and I was like, um, I'm going to put in my two weeks notice. I'm like, I'm out of here. Um, but it, it was definitely a point where I realized, no, I'm ready to take my own shot, you know, yeah. to call Lin-Manuel. Like I'm ready to, to do this for me. <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to give this up.
0: No. And that's so smart. And I think, you know, like we said, watching what our parents have gone through and um, just the financial crisis and everything, like we learn to count on ourselves more and wow. to build something for ourselves, which I think is the American dream at the end of the day. Right.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I, really think it is. And I think that's why we see, I I think we're going to see even more people starting businesses and companies. And I think we're going to really move towards like a 1099 lifestyle, even if, I mean, technically it is, is you are running your own business. If you're working for yourself, even if you're just working for yourself with like no other employees. Um, I think we're going to see so much more of that. And it's such, especially for women, it is, the greatest opportunity because you're not you don't have any ceiling. You could, you know, work 24 hours a day. I I don't recommend that. That's why. I my book. <laughs> but you know, you could work as much as you want and make as much money as you can possibly can, and pivot and come up with creative solutions and grow businesses and not be capped by kind of traditional job parameters. Um, and I think for women, it's going to be like the key to financial independence and being able to, I, it is impossible to do it all. I mean, I'm taking this podcast from my my car while my son is inside sleeping because we're on a daycare waiting list. That's like 70 kids along. It's impossible to do it all, but I'm able to do a lot more because I work for myself.
0: No, my gosh. Yeah, for sure. Now going back to the blog then, because that's, you know, what you do full time now. Um, when did you start it officially and why I'm pretty sure it started more as an outlet and yeah. then, kind of talk to me about how it's changed over these years. Obviously, you made money, and um, you transitioned then to to do this full time. But talk to me about, like, from the beginning to now, the the difference you see in that.
1: So it goes back to that 2008 financial crisis because, um, you know, there was a lot of pressure. I think from professors, and it was mm-hmm. maybe not the healthiest environment. It's, I've actually blocked out a lot of college, but I've been trying to like work through some things. And I'm like, looking back, I do think people were stressed, especially in the business school, because things were so turned upside down. And it was it was wild. Like I had so many classmates where their parents who had been working for 25 years were losing their jobs like there was mm-hmm. a lot of stress. And in addition to that, I was also struggling cause I'd never been away from home and I was going through this really delayed puberty. And there was just a lot of things not lining up for me. And I uh, kind of had a mental break and I failed an accounting exam because I answered one question and had a panic attack and the professor kicked me out, which she, um, was let go six months later. We'll just leave it at that. And, um, I don't think she should have been a professor. It wasn't, she didn't get let go because of me. There were other issues, if you can imagine. But you know, I thought I was a perfectionist and to me, failing an exam, failing anything, I couldn't imagine a world that would keep going if I failed something, which Mm -hmm. a, that's like such a narcissistic way of thinking. Like, but my worldview was like, if I fail, the world is over and my life is over. And it really rocked me. I had like a huge mental breakdown and, um, somehow by the grace of God, I had some like good people in my corner, you know, like one random assistant Dean that I just so happened to meet with really convinced me to just give it to the end of the semester. And I, I don't even remember his name. I can picture him, but like he, I think saved my college career because he really advocated for me to drop a class. He's like, the world's not going to end. You're fine. This is your first semester. Like, you're going to survive. Just stick it out to the end of the semester and then figure it out. Like, you don't want to just stop midway through. And I Mm -hmm. said, okay, I trusted him. And it was great advice because I got to the end of the semester. I didn't end up failing the class. I came close. I got a D, but didn't fail. (laughs) And I was just miserable. I hated school. And I think I was just disappointed in myself for failing, but Mm I did realize, okay, the world's going to keep on turning. Like no one cares that I failed, which was a huge relief and pressure off of me. And I was joking with one of my friends in the common room in our dorm. And he, his mom and grandmother had started a blog, uh-huh. the Washington post. I think they were like journalists oh. and they did like a garden around DC blog I, or something like that. And he goes, you should start a blog. Like, I think this is, I think it'll be fun for you. Cause I, I was talking about how I just, I wanted to quit school and have a low pressure job. And I went home. I don't know what it was about this idea, but I went home over Christmas break and I was like, yeah, Nico's right. I'm going to start a blog. And I, I just started it. And again, I think it was me just following that intuition of, mm-hmm. of, of, Not even really understanding why I felt so compelled to do it, but like I felt really compelled and I went home and fired up that blog and really never looked back.
0: That is so amazing. And I mean, first of all, I think knowing how to start a blog back then was probably a lot, but you seem much more tech savvy than I am. Um, But even just like, like what was a blog back then, you know, and then to go on and make it, I think is crazy.
1: So. Now this is going to sound political, but just hear me. You know, stick with yeah. it if you're listening, and you're like immediately turned off by what I'm about to say. But it's it's an interesting um, look into time. So again, I worked on that camp 2008 campaign. So it was McCain and Obama. Mm-hmm. Megan McCain had a blog that in 2000. I think she started it in 2007, 2008, and it was called the McC- McCain Blogette. I'm pretty sure. And she was documenting the behind the scenes of the McCain campaign. And I'm talking like she was doing what people do nowadays, but she was doing it over a decade ago. And she was like, here's the playlist that we're listening to on the bus as we're going to rallies. And here's like a, a bio of this one woman who works for the campaign. I would read it every morning because I was so into the campaign. Like I was reading everything. Right. Yeah. And you can go back and read newspaper articles about her blog and people saying like, what is this? Like, why do people care about this? It is hilarious because now I'm like, hey, you don't need to describe what a blog is. So yeah. everyone gets. <laughs> you don't need to say, why do people care about what Spotify playlist people are listening? Well, I mean, Spotify wasn't even there, but you know, she was so ahead of her time, and to read the articles about what she was doing back then, it's hilarious.
0: That's um, so, fun. especially the playlist part. I feel like people do that all the time now. Like brands even share those yeah, sorts of yeah. things.
1: An American girl just came out with a playlist for like, here's what Samantha Parkington would listen to. What it's like. This is so what people do, and it was so foreign, and I think people looked at it as like some dumb thing. Um, but that was in the back of my mind. I think when I started my blog, because I was, I was reading blogs, um, in like very niche communities. Like I was reading political blogs and I was, there were like a couple of mom bloggers that had kind of just started in 2006. So I was like reading live journals and, you know, looking back, I think the seeds were definitely being planted, but it wasn't very ubiquitous. It wasn't what it is now actually think it was a lot easier to start a blog, even though it sounds like you need to be tech savvy. Like bl- Google's blog spot was so easy <laughs> and you didn't <laughs> have any skills beyond just being able to type on your computer. So, um, yeah, it was like such a wild time just to, to be in that space and mm-hmm. to watch it grow.
0: Oh my gosh. No, I'm sure. And you know, what's interesting that you said is, you know, that you struggled during this time in college. I feel like everyone talks about college as being the best time of their life and like puts this like shiny, like filter on it. And I remember even me, like I, I'm an only child. And I, I remember moving into the dorm and then having to live with two other people in like this tiny room. And like, that was a lot for me. And even just, I've been to the same high school that my parents and grandfather went to. So like I had roots there and then going to a whole new thing was so like foreign and bizarre to me. I really struggled. Like I wanted to transfer to a different school and it took a while. And then I found my groove and I feel like, just like you, I found someone um, kind of like to take me under their wings, like a professor that just took an interest in me and said, you know, you're really good at this thing. Why don't you try, you know, writing for the school newspaper then and like getting me involved. And I think that's, what's important for anyone listening that might be, you know, in college is, you know, there everyone goes through stuff and it's important to sort of find your tribe and know you're not alone in that.
1: Yeah. I actually, I think it's a really good thing to remember. I mean, everyone talks about how Instagram and Facebook are highlight reels. Now for me, I'd gone to a school out of state and I, one kid from my high school came to school or went to Georgetown and, but we weren't friends. We weren't in the same circle. I mean, we would see each other occasionally at parties, but, um, I would go home after being out and I would get on Facebook the next morning and I would go through all of my friends from high school's Facebook albums. You know, you could upload like 60 photos at a time. So there'd be like sometimes and we all had those like little digital cameras. So people would upload (laughs) like four albums from the night before. And I obsessively would scroll through everyone's photos. My friends who are rushing at Auburn, my -hmm. friends who were on a sports team at the university of Florida. Like I was obsessed with like living through other people's college experiences via their Facebook albums. Mm -hmm. And in my head, when I was, you know, 19, 18, 19 years old, I was like, everyone's having this different experience than what I'm having. I'm miserable. I'm really sad. I'm like depressed. I'm having this, these mental health crisis, and everyone else is having a great time, like there's something wrong with me. Well, looking back, I'm like, I was posting those same photos and I'm sure there are people that were going through my photo albums and being like, oh my God, Carly went to a state school out of state. Mm -hmm. She's meeting all these new people. Like I'm only hanging out with friends from high school. I wish I did, I'm really miserable rushing. Like I wish I wasn't rushing. Everyone is going through that experience of looking at other people's highlight reel and wishing it was them. Yeah even to this day, I find myself, I mean, I'm, this is why I think social media for, for especially middle school and high school is just so scary. I'm like a 32 year old. I've, I have decades of therapy under my belt and I I have much more self-awareness now (laughs) than I did as a teenager. But I, even to this day, will look at people on Instagram and say, Oh my God, like have like a pang of not even jealousy. It's more like I look down on my own life because yeah. I see other people living better lives and, or what I you know presume to be better lives. And I have to remind myself, I'm like, people probably look at my Instagram on days of where I'm having a bad day, but to them they're like, Oh, she is married to this great guy and she has mm-hmm. her perfect baby. And she lives in this perfect little suburb. That is probably what it looks like to other people. But to me, like I have just as many bad days and you know, my son is a normal baby with ups and downs and good days and bad days. And like we're teething right now. So it's, it's been tough, but you know, to me, I look at other people being like, well, their life must be perfect. I'm like, God, I'm 32. And I know that everyone has their own life and I still find myself getting sucked into that trap. Um, and I think it's so, 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 so important to just keep reminding yourself that and, I'm a big advocate for muting people on Instagram, unfollowing people. Like don't torture yourself by seeking out things that you know are going to make you feel bad about your own life. Like know yourself and know what kind of triggers you in that way and avoid it because you are the master of your Instagram feed and you can curate like what you see and what you don't want to see and it's okay to mute people.
0: Exactly. I, I- I love doing that because you don't want to unfollow them, I feel like, because then they can notice. And then I don't know. I feel like sometimes then that's starts Yeah. But if you mute them, like I, there was someone I was looking at Instagram and I would find myself like searching for them too. And I yeah. would always have like an icky feeling about it. And so I was like, I just need to like mute them and like just not see this anymore because I have this like icky feeling of like, I wasn't doing enough.
1: Yeah. And you know, it has nothing to do with the other person. I have to yeah. remind myself that too, because I know, I'm sure people that I know have muted me and blocked me or unfollowed me. And I'm like, it's, I do the same thing. And I know it's actually not about that person. It's about me and like my own insecurities. And so yeah. I have to remind myself like, oh, it's, I like, don't take offense because s- someone else might be struggling to get pregnant. and It might be really hard to watch me with a baby. And on the reverse of it, like, sometimes it's hard for me to see people who are with their family constantly because I don't get to see my parents. And so like everyone has their own thing and like to not take it so personally, but also just remember we're all living humans with insecurities and strengths and cons and challenges and, you know, it's okay. And no one's really out. Well, maybe there are some people, but very, I would say it's a small percentage, but most people are, aren't, out there to hurt you or to make you feel bad or to offend you. And it's just a good kind of memory to keep in mind.
0: Exactly. Everyone has their challenges. So now I want to talk about your book because I did buy it and read it and loved it. Um. So tell me about that because I know you have been working on it for a while. Like I remember seeing on your stories like years ago, which I don't even know if it was this book you were working on, but I know it's always been a goal of yours to write a book. So tell me about the idea for the book, the process, like how long it took, all of that.
1: Yeah. So I think you bring up a good point. So this actual specific book was basically a one-year project almost to the day. I signed a book deal in November, 2020, I think. And then it was supposed to come out in November, 2021, but COVID delays, there were like delays at the printer. So it came out the end of December, but it was a really quick, Publishing process. But I think I've been working on this book a lot longer than that because, even in the back of my mind, and when I think about conversations that I've had or conference that I've spoken at or things that just really inspire me, this has always been, I've been working on this for a lot longer than just that one year publishing process, Um, which is also a good thing to remember. You know, sometimes it feels like you're not doing anything or producing anything, but you might actually working on something in like the background of your memory, you know, your brain. Mm -hmm. Um, And then what's great is when that publisher comes knocking or whatever that opportunity is, you're ready to go, which is what I think happened here. Because one of the things that drove me crazy about the business school at Georgetown, I felt like there was a lot of gatekeeping on information. Now you're obviously in a school environment and they're trying to teach you things and you have these textbooks and you have these case studies and you're working on these projects. I always felt like they were trying to make it so much more complicated than it actually was. Yeah. And that it frankly really made me angry because I almost felt like they were trying to discourage people from making it seem like it was something that they could do. And m- whether or not it was intentional, that was kind of the takeaway for me. It seems so effing confusing. It was like a different language. And I think that's a big reason why I failed that accounting exam. I felt like I was learning a different language. And I always thought to myself, you know, I just, I, I don't think it's as complicated as it seems from the outside. And especially because I was starting my business and like, here I am, I'm 20 years old. I'm incorporating, which seemed so intimidating at the time, but like, it really wasn't that complicated once you actually went to do it. You know, the idea of it was so much more complicated. Yeah. And, it just forms. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. that's it. That's what starting a business is. Like, <laughs> I mean, there are parts that are annoying about it. Like you have to pay taxes and you have to yeah. your books and all this stuff. But like, is it actually as complicated as I think people think? No. And I've had so many conversations with amazing women who I am so inspired by. And I think they're, talented and creative and this and that. And they lack confidence in starting a business. I'm like, Mm -hmm. you're over here telling me that you are creating these insanely beautiful works of art and you're intimidated by starting a business. I'm intimidated by the fact that you can create this incredible piece of art. Um, like you could turn this into a business. Like it's, don't be intimidated by it. And I've sat down with coffee with, I want to say at least 150 women over the past decade um, in some degree or another, whether it was like in passing or a friend or someone who reached out to me or whatever. And these common themes of, well, I have this idea, but I don't think I can do it. Or, you know, I've had this idea for five years, but I'm too afraid to try. Just these common themes kept coming up. And in the the, uh, fall of 2019, I went to a creative conference And there were amazing businesswomen there on the panels and all this stuff. And everyone in the audience had a creative business Mm -hmm. or wanted to start a creative business, but you know, everyone was a creative essentially. And we had this brunch on Sunday morning and I just kept hearing if I heard one more person put themselves down, one more woman put themselves down and say, well, you know, I have this idea, but like, I'm not a numbers person, Or, oh, like, I have this blog, this Instagram that sells things. Like, it's not really a business. I was, it was making me enraged to hear women put themselves down and to, to basically say, I'm failing before I've even tried. Yeah. It's like, you haven't even tried. And you are so, you have so much more capability. And it's not like, oh, my God. It was just, I wanted to put my hands on people's shoulders and just shake them. (laughs) And. I finally stood up when it was like my turn to do the introduction of myself and like what I did. And I said, look, I just went on a a tirade for 15 minutes. I just was sharing as many things as I could possibly fit about business into this like 15 minute thing, uh, you know, mini speech. Mm -hmm. I was actually really embarrassed that I was doing it, but I felt compelled. That's the only thing I can say is I felt like someone, some greater force was like telling me to do this. And I ultimately, you know, the conference ended and I sat outside this restaurant after this brunch and had maybe 10 or or 15 conversations with 10 women who were there individualized. And I said, look, I'm going to email everyone when I get home. And I went home and wrote this 16 page PDF with everything that I felt like was relevant of starting a business, of running an Instagram, faking it till you make it, like work smarter, not harder. And, but also to have this mindfulness element because that was a huge lesson I had learned as an entrepreneur myself was I felt like when I was younger that I had to burn the candle at both ends of the stick because, you know, hashtag hustle culture and hashtag girl boss. Like that was such the era that I was starting my business in, which was so yeah. unhealthy. And I realized like I'd burnt myself out and I had really hit rock bottom at one point with a health crisis and had to put myself first and realized wait a minute. If I put myself first, I actually make more money. Like this is insane. So I wanted to incorporate that into this PDF because it's just as important to have a healthy mindset as it is to have a healthy accounting, you know, book. Um, and so I wrote this whole thing. I sent it out. And then about six months later, I got an email from an editor saying, Hey, we're looking for people to write books. Like, do you have any ideas that you want to pitch us? And i pitched a few ideas and this pdf was one of the ideas and they loved it and came back to me a few months later and offered me a book deal um and i was so grateful and honored that this is like the book i got to write because it's something i'm just so passionate about i'm so passionate about business in general i think businesses are amazing and starting businesses and creating jobs is so important and i think this mindfulness element is important whether or not you start a business and um i i'm really proud of it like it's something i'm really passionate about and i could talk about forever and so I, to be able to write this book was like a huge life accomplishment for me and i'm happy i got to do it
0: i love that and after reading your book and even I know I can't remember when it was. It was probably definitely before 2020. But in um, Avalon or in Stone Harbor, oh, yeah. you did an event, and it was touching on mindfulness too. And then to see the book, it kind of came full circle for me with you. Um, and I think that's something you know, me as an entrepreneur too. I always forget, you know, to to get the right amount of sleep, to eat the right things, to f- to fuel your bo- your body. Um, even just like meditate and yoga, and just like take two seconds for yourself. I think that's so important and not enough people talk about that. So I love that you're passionate about that and you included that in your book. And even it, I mean, to make that PDF for everyone at the conference was so kind of you. I'm sure, I'm sure everyone appreciated that. So I just love that about you, that, you know, you're, you're helping other women and you're giving back in sorts in that sense. Um, So I want to talk to you a little bit about being a mom, like how has that changed you? Cause I, like I said, we met originally years ago, right after we both graduated college. And I feel like I can see the change in you, like over all these times and these different seasons in life. And, um, so talk to me about how you think motherhood has changed you and just being a mom.
1: Yeah. So first I'm just going to say, like, it is one of, it's a bittersweet, double-edged sword thing wow. that I have documented over a decade of my life on the internet, because I started my blog when I was an actual teenager mm-hmm. and now I'm 32. And so it's amazing that people I think have been able to see that growth, but it's also terrifying because I'm like, well, yeah, I was a different person when I was 19. Like weren't <laughs> we all different in college. Like I look at some of my friends and I'm like, you're telling me you're a teacher like you're the one that parents are entrusting their kids with and it's like well of course like they're not the same you know 16 year old in in high school um and so it's like it's cool for me to go back and I'm like you know reading stuff and I I always have talked about personal things so it's like cringy in a way but also like so beautiful also it's like unfortunately like a a diary online but um yeah I being a mom has, I mean, it is the most transformative thing I've ever gone through in my life. Like I feel like obviously I birthed my son and like he, I brought life into the world, but in a lot of ways I feel like that process was this rebirth of myself. Um, and, it has been like, there aren't even words to describe it. It has been like amazing. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. I've had to like really figure out priorities and I've always identified myself, I think by like what I do in terms of a job and how much income I'm making and like what campaigns I'm working on and what projects I have under my belt. And and now I'm like finding this new identity as like someone's mother and I find it to be I thought it was like fulfilled before and it definitely fulfilled me, but this is like fulfilling in a way that I didn't even know was possible. Um, it's been amazing and I do feel like a different person and it's, I'm grateful I've been working for so long because I, you know, unfortunately can't do it all. Like I wish I could clone myself and send my clone off to do like the boring work stuff (laughs) that I absolutely hate, but I'm just figuring out, figuring it out kind of a day at a time. Um, but it's been amazing. It's like the only- that,
0: I feel like there's like a different calmness or confidence about you, which I know we just talked about how, you know, everyone has insecurities, especially with social media, but I don't know. I see, I see something different and I, it's great to have watched you grown and change, you know, and I feel like we sort of grew up together, even though it's not like we were yeah. friends over those times, but, and I feel like a lot of people identify with influencers in that sense, because they've grown as they, as the, their followers have grown too, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. You know, one big thing that and this actually is like kind of the whole point of my book about the mindfulness was like putting myself first allowed me to be a better businesswoman at the end of the day and make smarter decisions and work more efficiently and have a life outside of my job and to not just be defined by what I do and not have my life be defined by what I do and how much work I produce and how many hours I spend my behind my computer. And now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, like you just kind of triggered it in my brain. I think the same thing is kind of happening now where I knew I was like, I'm never getting these months back of Jack's first year. And to me, I see my job, my number one job right now is to be his mom. And yeah, I'm not going to pretend like it's easy. Like I struggle every day with this idea of like, I'm definitely dropping balls. For example, I missed our first recording of this. Like I know that's happening and I know my brain isn't as like sharp as it was. Like I definitely think that mom fog is real. And, you know, I'm having to say no to certain things and have to really prioritize like where I'm spending my time because I just don't have as much time outside of being a mom as I did before. But for some reason, I think it's because I'm like taking the pressure off myself. I actually feel like this is going to be the best year I've ever had because I'm being really conscious about what I take on, and I'm mm-hmm. saying no to a lot more things so that when when I am working, I'm really going to put my energy in. Like I'm not just taking things on to take things on, and I'm fulfilling. I'm filling my cup outside of work, and so I have this like other identity. And you know, it's I saw this as a year where I was going to like I. I literally said, I think this is just going to be a year where I coast. Um, Like I've been really working hard for a few years and I felt like, you know what? I'm in a position where I can take a step back financially, like take a little bit of a financial hit. I can work fewer hours and I'm like, well, how am I still getting all these like amazing opportunities? I'm like, this is wild. Like, I don't know. I'm really grateful. And I'm, this industry is like, I think really a blessing for working moms, but it's, I feel like I'm a better person because I'm a mom. And I think that's like reflected in my work too.
0: Yeah. I think this season's going to be the best one yet for you. you. Now you've done, you've accomplished so many things and I feel like there's so many girls who look up to you. Um, What would you say you're most proud of in terms of like, work and business, I'm going to say, because obviously, you know, having your family and your beautiful son, but in terms of work, like, what are you really proud that you've done so far?
1: So I think it's kind of a twofold thing. One, personally, I'm really proud of like the fact that I never really gave up. And I look back and there were just so many points where, and I want to be clear that I'm actually pro quitting. Like, I think people should quit when they don't enjoy something and it's not a bad thing if they try something and don't like it and quit. But there is a difference between quitting and giving up. Mm. Giving up to me is like when you really love something, but you're going to let an outside force like dictate what you do in the future, right? Quitting is saying this isn't for me and that's okay. For me, I'm like, I have always loved what I do, but there've just been so many outside forces kind of were stacked up against me at different points in varying degrees. And I never let that stop me from doing what I love and maybe even to the point of being stubborn about it. But I'm really proud that I stuck with things through difficult times. Um, And I've had conversations with people who were like, man, I wish I hadn't quit blogging in 2011 because, you know, the haters had really gotten to me and I quit because I just couldn't take it anymore. And I regret it because then social media took off. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I look back and I'm like, I, even when it was as hard as it was, and even with really hard things going on, like I never wanted to let those outside forces like win because it's something I genuinely loved. And I'm really proud of myself for doing that. Um, I'm also grateful that I've been able to kind of be a voice for people who might, not have had a voice at the time Um, like some of my proudest moments are when moms actually send me emails and they say, you know, my daughter's the same age as you are. And I've been reading your blog for five years and I never know how to have like difficult conversations with her or I haven't been able to bring something up and, you know, being able to watch you openly and share your vulnerabilities like has allowed me to understand my daughter more and understand what she's going through and like those moments to me are some of my proudest because like there were times when I was even afraid to talk to my parents about like what I was going through and I for some reason found it much easier to write it down for a bunch of strangers to read than it was (laughs) to like sit down with my parents right and uh, like even to this day I still get emails from mom's who are like, oh my God, my I've been reading your blog for 10 years and now my daughter's starting college and she's really struggling, but I have have read your blog and I know what to look for and I know that it's okay that she's failed a class or I know it's okay that she's struggling to find her friends like because of what you've written in the past. And it sounds like so cliched to say, but even just those little moments of being like, oh, that mom can connect to her daughter better or that daughter doesn't feel as alone because she's read my blog and knows it's okay not to have the best four years of your life in college or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Like those moments mean so much to me. In addition to talking to people and like encouraging them to start their business or just hearing people be like, you know, I actually did want to take a path that was kind of less traveled or non-traditional and watching you do it inspired me in whatever way. So I don't know, just kind of like the big picture moments. Like do people really care? what shoe i bought or what to wear to a wedding it's like yeah those things are like fun but i do feel like i write about other things that are like more meaningful too like it's about right
0: definitely no i think you're one of the influencers who does try to talk more about life things and those are all certainly amazing things to be proud of and i do like the fact that you pointed out the difference between quitting and giving up i think that's you said it so well and so smart to think about. now, since this is the Preppy podcast, I always ask everyone, what does Preppy mean to you? Like, how would you describe Preppy in these modern times?
1: Oh, man. If you go on TikTok, it means something totally different than <laughs> I <do. laughs> Which I just, to me, I love it from like a classic timeless standpoint. Now, I have had some like hits and misses over the years as anyone would. But I'm like, I go back and look at my blog, whether it was like what I was writing about or what I was wearing. And I'm like, I'm not so embarrassed by what I did. Well, I mean, there are some things I wrote where I'm like cringing, but you know, it it was who I was at the time and it was what I was wearing at the time. And it was always something that I loved. And I don't think I followed the trends and just kind of stuck to my gut on like things I liked. And I think they've stood the test of time because they were, I wasn't following the trends or doing what everyone else was doing at the time. Like I never wore a piece of clothing with Chevron and I'm proud of that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I uh, love that sticking true to yourself.
1: Yeah. And like, I'm sure, it, you know, I could have grown my Instagram a lot more had i like gone with the trends and, you know, worn things that people were wearing at the time. But I think I've always just kind of marched to the beat of my own drama and been like, no, this is what I like and I'm just going to wear and do what I like. And um, I have always regretted it if I feel like I purchased something because it was trendy and um, or done something on my Instagram because it was like the trend of the time. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I think that people stick with me through the years because it's not like just cycling through trend after trend after trend. Yeah,
0: I feel like crop tops are a huge thing right now, and I'm like, I cannot do a crop top. Yeah. <laughs> I feel just like out yeah. of place with that. Yeah. <laughs> um. So my final question is, what's next for you? Are there any sneak peeks? Something you're working on that you're excited about?
1: Oh, gosh, I'm. I think like work. One thing that's been interesting in this industry, and I, I'm sure you've seen it with mm-hmm. like what you do and the brands you work with, but I am loving. All of the collaborations between different brands, yeah um, and it's not just like a brand working with an influencer, but like okay, um American Girl and Stony Clover, it's like those don't seem like they'd be in the same world, but like somehow they work perfectly together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm excited for a couple of like upcoming partnerships for me that allows me to like dip my toes into product without mm-hmm. having to know anything about creating product or dealing with inventory. So it's like fun for I think the the brand and me to be able to like tap into different uh industries. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for some of those. Um I'm like really excited to just like keep being a mom, which sounds so lame, but I really it's like I just love joy. it. I yeah. it, I love it. And um I have so many business ideas like that I do <laughs> want to start but I just there are not enough naps in the world for Jack for me to be able to execute at the moment. But, you know, I feel like they're in the back of my brain, like really tinkering. So I'm kind of excited to see where those go. But honestly, for now, I'm like excited to be where I am and just focus on some of the projects I have on my plate and kind of be okay with not chasing the stars at the moment.
0: Yeah. Enjoying life, living in the moment, right? Yeah.
1: Season for me. And I, I, it's okay to not feel like I'm, you know, splitting the atom right now. Like I like where I'm at right now and I'm okay with it.
0: (laughs) No, for sure. You've done so many amazing things already and you should enjoy the moment right now. So I'm sure so many of my listeners already know this, but let everyone know where they can find you, like your blog um, URL, your Instagram handle. That way they can just follow along with you um, and see all your amazing
1: content. So my blog, which is in my estimation, like my center of my social media universe is Carly Reardon.com. My Instagram is at Carly. I'm on TikTok, having a lot of fun with it. And I'm (laughs) Carly a Reardon there. Um, I think those are the big ones right now.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Carly. I'm so glad that you were able to come on and talk. You had so much valuable information that I just really enjoyed this.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And, um, I just want to wish everyone good luck in starting their businesses and just know you can do it and you've got this. (laughs) Thank you
0: so much for listening to the Preppy Podcast. I hope this put a little prep in your step for the day. Please subscribe, rate, and review on wherever you listen to your podcast and follow along with at the Preppy Podcast on social media.